turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. This morning we talked about ten bridesmaids, and we uh, looked at the uh, quite an event of the uh, wedding in a Jewish town in the day in which Jesus taught. Uh, today we're not going to, uh, this evening we're, we'll be looking at the actual narrative about a wedding, not a story about a wedding, a parable, but an actual historical account of the uh, wedding that Jesus attended in Cana of Galilee and some of the details involving the first miracle. John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the wine, the water that was made wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for those that have come out on Sunday night, I thank you for the concern and the investment of time in our church, and we know these services are important too, and I ask that you work your purposes in our life. Work your purposes in our church, and Father, as we look into your word, we ask that we would be strengthened and encouraged, and Father, we would be directed to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. This wedding obviously involved a family that was close to Jesus' family, specifically his mother. It says that the mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus was invited. We know that the family ties were strong because she obviously had something to do with the accommodations, because it would be a closely guarded secret if they were running out of wine. And the reason being is hospitality was a sacred obligation. And if they had run out of wine, they would not want it publicly known until they could try to fix the problem. You see, the groom's family was responsible for the wedding. And the groom's family was responsible for the wedding feast. So we know that the ties were closed to the groom's side of the family. Now, this is how bad it would get. If you invited all these people to your house and then you ran out of something, whether it be food or something. You remember the parable about the uh, friend at midnight? 
It was such a humiliation and a public embarrassment, the town would remember it for years. In fact, it could get so bad that the bride's family could sue for damages simply because this was the party you threw and we signed a contract that you would provide a wedding for our daughter and you didn't provide a good wedding because you ran out of something. They could sue them. This was a serious problem. It was a serious problem that was kind of held private as long as possible. So we know that Jesus' mother Mary had something to do with the accommodation. She was very close to this family. Also, she had some kind of authority because she called together the folks that were responsible and she said, whatever he says to do, you do it. So she had some sort of authority and she was over perhaps those accommodations. And of course, they did that. A key detail that John says, they filled them up to the brim. That's important because therefore, they knew if they were filled up to the brim, Jesus could not have added anything to it to try to pull a fast one on them. They knew that those pots contained water. And he said, fill the pots up. They filled them up to the brim. And then the very next statement, he says, now, take some of this and take it to the master of the feast. He was uh, some sort of guy that was coordinating it, maybe an MC over the festivities. He's the one. And, and they took it. They took it. So there was nothing. Jesus didn't even touch it. He said, you fill the water pots up. Now you go take it to the, to the uh, master of the feast. And then the master of the feast took it and tasted it. Not only was it wine, it was the best. It was better than they had already served. And we notice the first miracle was in a home. The first miracle was at a wedding. The first miracle, the initial, the initial purpose of that was to save a family from embarrassment. And the first miracle was done totally in private. Only a handful of people knew about it. Now there's some questions that are raised, especially uh, the first time we read this, and many of us, the first time we ever read this was in the King James Version, and, it seem, and the question is, why does Jesus seem to be so disrespectful to his mother? Because the new King James says, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? The King James re reads, woman, what have I to do with you? That sounds like he's saying, this is not my problem. It's not my job. And first of all, he punctuates his sentence with woman. Now in South Arkansas, if you're talking to a family member, and you punctuate your finishes with woman, it's not good. I mean, it's not good. In fact, don't do that. It's, it's, it's not good. It won't turn out well. And if you want any kind of cooperation, don't go there. But then he says, what have I to do with you? Now, what's the problem here? It all has to do with translation. Because we read the Bible in English. The Bible is written, written in Greek. And, and William Barclay... Uh, noted Greek scholar says first of all the word woman here we're not in South Arkansas so he wasn't trying to be disrespectful it was not a sharp rebuke but a term of respect and endearment that doesn't sound like that because the way we're raised 
but it was a very polite, respectful term, and he was talking to Mary in that term. And then, of course, when he said, what do I have to do with you, or what does this have to do with me? Here is the translation that Barclay, the Greek scholar, says. This is no longer your problem. Leave it to me, and I'll handle it. He said, that's typically the Greek translation of this. And then he says this, my hour has not yet come. Now what that sounds like is he says, nope, nope, I'm not ready to do any miracles today. You're way ahead of schedule, woman, and I'm not doing a miracle. That's exactly how we read it, isn't it? So that's what it sounds like. That's not exactly the way it is. In fact, it's not the way it is at all. But the, the word term, my hour has not come, this is not the first time Jesus says this. And what I want to do is trace a thread of this term, my hour, through the book of John, and then we get to understand exactly what he's saying. Look at chapter 7, verse 6, and we're just going to walk through the book of John. Chapter 7, verse 6. Jesus talking to his disciples. Then Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. My hour, my time has not yet come. In the same chapter, verse 30. Therefore they, the Jews, sought to take him. But no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Same phrase. Chapter 8, verse 20. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one laid hands on him for his hour had not yet come. So what Jesus said was not an abrupt dismissal of the situation because it wasn't time for him to do a miracle. This thread is mentioned over and over in the book of John. His hour had not yet come. What is that? Turn to chapter 12, verse 23. Jesus had just ridden into Jerusalem on the donkey. This was what we call Passion Week, the last week of his life. In verse 23 of John 12, Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. In this same chapter, verse 27, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this purpose I came to this hour. And there's just a few verses down, chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, 
that he should depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. His hour had come that he should depart from this world. What was the hour that was to come? The work that he did on the cross. Chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus spoke these words and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may also glorify you. After he prayed that prayer, he was arrested and went to the cross. So that's what the hour was talking about. So if we want to put all those together, he was saying, don't worry. I'll handle this because I'm still here. My hour has not yet come. And I'll handle this. And I'll handle it in my own way. That sounds a lot better than the, than the abrupt English translation of that Greek expression. Now, there's some interesting details. And the details tell us Jesus always does more than enough. Jesus always does more than enough. The master of the feast tasted the wine and he called the bridegroom over he said what is this he said every other wedding and he should know he's probably a professional he said everybody does the best first that way if you if you run out or you start running to the end you've got the backup of the inferior he said you've done it actually opposite he said This is the best we've ever had. Now, what does that tell us? It tells us this. No doubt that family provided the best ingredients of food and drink that they could find to throw this wedding feast. I mean, you wouldn't skimp on anything. Families wanted to present their best. And so they presented their best, the very best they had. And then Jesus fills water pots with water and says, take some of this to the master of the feast and it's better than anything they could have ever provided. What does that tell me? The best that we can do is no match for what Jesus can do. That was the best they could offer. And he said, man, this is a lot better than what you had at the first. He said, what's going on? Well, the bridegroom, I mean, he didn't know. Because it says, nobody knew except those servants. And also, let's look at exactly some numbers here. There were six water pots of stone, according to the manner of the purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. These water pots were in every house. It's obviously there was a big household. They had plenty of water for purification, which means you had to wash your hands and feet in a certain way when you came into a home, according to the Jews. John was writing, and he knew he would have non-Jewish readers because at the time he was writing it, he was writing in a non-Jewish territory. So he's trying to explain, here's the water pots, here's what were they used for, and every one of them had 20 to 30 gallons apiece, and that's six water pots. Now, I can do the math. As I mentioned this morning, math is important. I can do the math. That means you have 120 to 180 gallons. Now, 
There is no wedding party that you could start from day one and drink that much wine. There's just no way. Now, the wedding party was well underway, and they've run out. And now Jesus, somewhere in the middle or toward the end of it, he manufactures 120 to 180 gallons of the best that they've ever tasted. And so what does that tell us? It tells us this. He gave them plenty to finish up the feast and left a nice little wedding present for the couple so they would have a nice present. So what does that tell us? We're just going to sum it all up. When Jesus is in the house, he's going to handle problems in his own way. Nobody would have ever predicted he would have done this, but in his own way. And he's always going to handle it better than we can. That's the lesson from the wedding of Cana in Galilee. The first miracle. It was done privately. It was done in a home. It was done to save a family from embarrassment. And it surpassed anything that anybody could have ever predicted. So I would say he's able to handle our problems in our homes if we'd let him in. Is there anything before we go into the business meeting?